You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning, Kathy. I'm keeping well. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Sunny day, looking out my window here. Couldn't be happier, let me tell you. Yeah, it is pretty pretty nice outside today, for sure. It, it really is. It really is. I had a little dove. I, I think I told you this uh, last, last, last we chatted, little dove that was sitting on my my little windowsill here making some lovely noises for me, <laughs> but uh, he was, uh, he was shoot away. So we're all good here now. <laughs> um, today's show is being taped. So no opportunity for Colin and please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and feel free to email us at THH at radiomaria.ca. And please do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes and SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. So, Alex, I'm sure um, you've been in this situation as I am in quite often, actually. I dip into the CRISPR to grab things to for salads or whatever, and I yeah. pull the lettuce out, and it looks like it's really on its last legs. Have you ever done that? Are yeah. you very proficient in your food? Uh, I wish I could say I was, and I'm, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely experienced that quite often, too often, well, to be honest. And too, <laughs> well, with people now ordering their food quite a bit, um, you're getting those weekly baskets in. That's that's what I do. And mm. so you know that the end of the week is coming and you're getting a whole new onslaught of the, the vegetables. Yeah. And, you know, to try and use them up is, is, is the name of the game, right? You don't want to throw things out and create waste. So exactly. what I wanted, yeah, what I wanted to do was give you um, or give everybody a couple of tips on maybe how to revive some of those veggies before you give them their green bin burial. Really simple. Um, water is the word because... Most vegetables go limp because they are dehydrated. So oftentimes just giving them a bit of water will help to revive them enough that mm-hmm. um, they're good enough to use. And that's, that's what we want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start off with your greens. So obviously you want to cut off the, the stuff that's brown and that you know is not never coming back and remove, remove all that, get rid of it. And then submerge your greens into a bowl of ice water. And ice water, okay. Yeah, ice water really shocks them. And put it put it in the fridge because you want to keep that water cold. Put it in the fridge for about a half an hour. Take take the bowl out and rinse everything, and you should find that your your greens have come back to life quite a bit, and you can use them, you know, right away in your salad. 
and things with stalks, so sticky things like celery and carrots and mm -hmm. asparagus. Yeah. You can also trim the bottoms off and um, stick them into, a, put, put it in a glass and just stand them up in a glass of water and put them in the fridge as well. And uh, you may find that they come back to life enough to eat and put into your salads. Uh, I actually do use asparagus in my salads. I use it raw as well as cooked. So those things may help out. Mm -hmm. Other tips that I have so that your your uh, your veggies don't go to waste. Again, you know that that weekly cycle. You know it's coming up, and you you want to to use up these veggies. You can sauté a whole bunch of them. It's really easy to sauté most vegetables. Things like potatoes, not quite as much, but uh, your greens, broccoli, kale, all those things. You just Exactly. And yeah. then you can just add rice to it, some seasonings. And that, uh, you know, it, you can really hide a lot of tastes with seasonings. And, you, you know, even if your veggies have kind of lost a bit of their punch, uh, it's still, they still have yeah. a nutrient value and, and a good way not to throw things out. And I use veggies in broths. So if, if I find that I know that I won't be eating them, I'll just make a quick broth. And uh, you can freeze the broth and use it for soups and things like that. So just some tips so that we don't throw away, uh, or at least we minimize what we throw away. Uh, an important thing. And I find it very important anyways. Yes. Thank you, so Kathy. on, You're very welcome. On to today's show. Our guest today is Jody Amen. And she's an internationally um, renowned speaker, and she's been counseling for over 20 years. Jody shows Generation Z, their parents and helpers, how to feel worthy, empowered, and in control. On her YouTube channel, Practical Miracles, she helps audiences all over the world get clarity, push past fear, and evolve their consciousness. Because Jody clawed her way out of her own emotional turmoil, she gets it. Through her TEDx Wilmington talk, Calm Anxious Kids, and her amazing best-selling book, You Won Anxiety Zero, she's changing the way we understand this current mental health crisis. Her new book, Anxiety, I Am So Done With You, A Teen's Guide to Ditching Toxic Stress and, rewire and Rewiring Your Brain for Happiness, will be released on July 21st. 2020, so July 21st of this year. Our learning points today are we're going to get some tips for parenting Generation Z kids, and we're going to talk about rethinking what true meaning is. So what is meaningful for these kids? Maybe reshaping their vision of what is important. And we're going to talk about how Generation Z mental health differs from other generations. It's quite interesting, and we will be back in a few minutes to talk to Jody.
to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Again, this show is taped, so no opportunity for call-in, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at The Health Hub RMC. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Kathy. It's um, it's quite an avenue you've flown down. I haven't really come into contact with anybody that's focusing on this generation. What's your backstory? How did you sort of get into this specialty of yours? Working with Gen Z? Well, I think that... You know, I just have had a lot of referrals, a lot of referrals of parents, of helpers like teachers and the counselors of teenagers, and then the teens themselves. So I've had this like inside view or in this inside seat and teens, you know, tell me everything that's on their mind. So I really understand what is gone wrong and how this 
there's like a mental health crisis that's even growing amongst this next generation. And I started to really see what the problem was and what it came from and how it's affecting these kids. And so I started speaking about it. I started teaching on it. I did my TEDx talk, um, Calm Anxious Kids, and, and now I have this book coming out. So I'm really excited to make a splash, make a change, because it doesn't have to be this way. Do you have like any relate? You can relate to these kids, or is this well, sort of a, a book knowledge based thing that you've come across? How, how, it seems like quite a specific specialty, right? Well, um, well, I'm a psychotherapist, so I've been in the field in clinical work with people with all ages, teenagers, kids, parents, couples. I've been in the work for 23 years. So I have gotten like that inside seat, like I said. So I understand what people are going through because they share with me all their secrets. And when you when you hear about people's problems and their secrets that they're not telling anyone else, but they're telling you, you really get a view that no one else is really seeing to really understand that human behavior. So having worked with teenagers for so long really has helped me. Uh, I've raised three of my own. My youngest is 16, so I have two boys in their 20s and one who is 16. And so I really understand from that view also as a parent, <laughs> you know, what it's like uh, having had my own anxiety, having been an anxiety survivor as well, you know, I have that inside view of having that experience myself. And a lot of the clients that I work with feel that I understand them in ways that nobody else has because I have the inside view and all angles. Well, let's, let's define uh, Generation Z. <laughs> what, what age group are we talking about here? We're talking about uh, about maybe their young 20s all the way through. Now I think the younger kids today, are they're going to define them differently. But um, right now, they're all Gen Z. So, so, child, so children, teens, up until maybe like 23. And the millennials start about mid-20s right now. It's funny, um, especially with uh, being at home so much lately and seeing social media. I've got my kids are from, my daughter just turned 21. So they're from 21 up to almost 30. So I've got quite a spread. And uh, the younger one is obviously now Gen Z. And my daughter, my older daughter, always makes a real point of things like that generation is so different from mine, which is, I guess she's a millennial, I guess. Right, That's just a couple idea. of years. Yeah. Right, because my oldest, <laughs> right, our oldest is 28. And so he had, he got a Blackberry when he was a senior in high school. So yeah. the first time he had a smartphone with the internet in his hand, he was a senior in high school. So it's a completely different than the other two kids. There's eight years between the boys. And so my son's my other son's 20 and he had it all through middle school and high school he had you know a smartphone with internet access it's changed everything um, on all angles and all fronts well you know my daughter my older daughter shakes her head at my younger daughter sometime and all her <laughs> friends and my younger daughter does the same to the older and I shake my head at both of them because I can <laughs> see a lot of similarities between the two generations because you know they there, there, there is some similarity for sure. I find as they've both gone through and they both had their, their times when they weren't the easiest to get along with, but 
what do you find really defines the difference between the two generations, other than the age, of course? Well, I do see that even even the emotional wellness of the Gen Z is has more problems than millennials. The similarities are that are different than our generation. So the similarities between the two younger generations is that they've grown up with a lot more commercialism than we did. And so that work ethic is gotten skewed. If you if you want to watch my TEDx talk, you just look up Jody Eam and TEDx. But I talk about that, you know, how commercialism has really changed this generation because we haven't learned cause and effect. With all the commercials, they're really teaching us you get stuff just because, you know, you should get this because it's cool. You know, you deserve it. And so we have this idea that we should be able to get things that we want. That's that entitlement that we're talking about. You see that with millennials and Gen Z, this growing sense of entitlement. but but when they don't get things, because you don't just get stuff just because they're you, you know, you have to have money and buy it. You don't just get it. And so they, what happens is they're feeling that a negative impact on their worth. Like they have a sense that they must not be worthy because they don't understand any other reason why they're not getting it because they don't learn cause and effect. Right. Is that, is that making sense? Um, and so also with social, with the younger generation, now there's that comparison culture that they have. So both culture, both generations are dealing with this as well as like this, uh, this comparison culture is increasing with social media. And so there, that is making them judge themselves much more harshly than they did before. So that's a similarity. What's different is they had it younger. You know, Gen Z has had it younger, so it's more intensified than the millennials. So it's like the millennials, we think the millennials have some problems, then Gen Z is like even more complicated because they just had all of this stuff younger. Who's this going to be problematic for? Them, us, you know, the going into the work. I got to tell you that some of the similarities between Gen Z, um, the millennials, also filter into the older people, too. There are a lot of entitled people who are very stuck on commercialism that are well into their 40s um, that can't bode well for raising children growing up in this age frame as well. So I imagine you're dealing with issues on all fronts. is the are the Gen Zs cognizant that they have this entitlement issue, or is this something that they don't? It's, even- it's, it's incredibly offensive to them if they are, because a lot of people have accused them of this, and they that's the worst thing to say to them because they they like didn't really get defensive. They don't want to be entitled, and it feels very invalidating to them because if they're trying to you know stand up for themselves or something then they feel, you know, not listened to. But so they don't really have that. They don't really understand what we're saying when we say that. It's not necessarily helpful to call a Gen Z or millennial entitled um, because they have learned that they're supposed to stand up for themselves and they're not just supposed to follow all authority blindly. They're supposed to be really, you know, analyze it. And, um, and so that it's, so it's hard for them to really understand. But for us, Yes, you're right. A lot of us are feeling really entitled, especially in Western culture. We all have that sense that we should be happy. You know, we're supposed mm-hmm. to be happy. You're, you know, we're supposed to, everything's supposed to be smooth and easy for us. Um, but what's happening is they're feeling increasingly out of control. 
So they're feeling very out of control of their life. And that is increasing their sense of worthlessness, their sense of powerlessness. And so that's what's increasing anxiety, depression. You're seeing all these statistics going really high for this generation um, of feeling worse and worse about themselves. So well, now, so they're feeling entitled, yet they're feeling inadequate. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird paradox. Well, what's going to change? Are they going to change the world, or is the world going to change them? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, we want them to change the world because the world does need a little bit of shifting here, and. So what we really need to do is help them find the control that they have. And that's what my book does. You know, it's, it's really showing kids how, what are these outside influences that are increasing this feeling of out of control in their life and how those are not true and how to find the control in their sovereign power, like how to find the power that they have, how to really increase that personal power so that they make the changes in the world that make the world a better place. And so this will help their emotional health, but also it'll help our world. Yeah, because it seems like it's what's happening is a meeting of what's real and what's not real, and they're getting smacked in the middle, and it's reverberating into their mental health. But are they going to adjust? Or this is this is the, where I find it an interesting issue to look at. You know, my daughter is in university, and they had in the past year alone, uh, two young kids who committed suicide. Um, and it's it's prevalent in, in this age group, I think, I think more than mm-hmm. any age group mm-hmm. that we've seen. And if they're, see, they have, to me, it can't just be social media. I think that to blame it on social media is a very easy thing to do. Now, maybe I'm out of tune with that. I don't know. But do you blame social media as the cause of all this? I think people are seeing it. I think there's there's different ways social media hurts us. So if you look at the different ways, it expands beyond social media. So there's three ways that I outline. Uh, now I'm adding a fourth, but there's four ways that social media does hurt us. One is the comparison culture. You know, it, all of them are that we're not seeing cause and effect. So we see all these people really being happy and doing all these happy things. And we think they just, it just happens randomly that they have this luck of being beautiful and having friends. And we don't see the work that they have to put in to do that. And also we don't see all the negative stuff. They're just showing the highlights. So that's one. And that's really what most people are blaming. And when they're saying social media is the cause of all this, they're just looking at that one aspect of it. But the next aspect is you know, we, we, we experience virtual trauma on seeing all these news reports from all over the world. You know, we used to be um, in a present situation when our fear response goes off, you know, when our, our, when, when our adrenaline is released in, in evolution, we used to be present in a situation we could do something about it. Now we're seeing all this danger and all this random, you know, uh, shootings and all this stuff from very far away and there's nothing that we could do and that helplessness is increasing our feelings of out of control and our feelings of anxiety and depression. And so then the third is that commercialism. It's like there's so much advertising that's done on there. So it's increasing our feeling of worthlessness because it's telling us 
you know, we have advertisements all the time on these devices. So it's not social media, it's just the device in general, having that access to advertise to us all the time. And there's also advertisements on every surface there is out there. So that's even more than the devices. But uh, that is, oh, the message is constantly, you deserve stuff just for being you. There's no cause and effect, right? So you don't have to do something to get something, you should just get it because you're you. And when they don't get it, 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 it's not cognitive, it's not conscious, but when they don't get it, they are confused about why, because they're supposed to. And mm-hmm. so the conclusion they make unconsciously is that they're unworthy, but they don't know how to fix being unworthy. And so they feel more out of control. You see, it's a, and the fourth one is, you know, there is, I, this is debatable, I guess. So I, I, I hate to say it, but you know, what, what kind of radiation are we getting from having these devices so close? Mm-hmm. And is that why the statistics, they've done statistics and the more people are on the phone, the highest, the, social, the suicide risks are going up. The more people are on their phone. So it could be any of these reasons, or actually it could also be the radiation is affecting, you know, our emotional health. It's definitely could be affecting our physical health. Mm-hmm. So why not our emotional health? If you have inflammation in the body, it's going to affect your emotional wellness, right? That's what, that's what really people don't talk about that much. When you have inflammation in the brain, you know, now they're saying that depression, anxiety is inflammation. Mm-hmm. Inflammation comes from all kinds of things and definitely, you know, electronic radiation. I, I agree. And I do see um, a shift in the field of psychology and psychiatry where, you know, medication may be needed, but I think that they're starting to bring in different modalities as well. Um, And I think that that's a very important shift. The one, the second point that you talked about, I think is, is quite interesting because I know as a a woman in my fifties, just going through what we've gone through with the COVID experience This constant news feed um, I found overwhelming. Similar to, you know, I find, you know, looking at statistics, you know, going through COVID, looking at statistics, you know, are the numbers going down? What's the numbers today? I find that I got caught in the same wheel uh, in 9-11. And I have had trouble sleeping through some of this, uh, and I feel that I'm, I'm handling it quite well. I mean, I don't mind the situation I'm in staying at home, but I can see where constantly having to try and figure out what's real and what's not real and having different and opposing views being thrown at you at the same thing can be extremely confusing for a young person to go through. I yes. think that that's a profound aspect yes. that we need to think about. You're also mentioning, you mean the conflict between like political parties or, or political parties, yes. fake news, where are things coming from? Is it true? I mean, just on the streets, mm-hmm. we've got protesters saying, you know, um, why are we being shut down? This yeah. is not real. And mm-hmm. that alone, you know, I've, we've had constant discussions <laughs> in this house about even our understanding and our beliefs of, and, and, I come to the conclusion that I have no idea and, and I'm older and I've been experienced. I mean, not something like this, but I find that that can be very unnerving for somebody who's trying to, to cope with a bunch of things. This must be a, a situation that you're seeing a lot of. 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, the teens that I'm working with are, are really feeling out of control because they really don't know what's happening or what to make of it. Anytime, anytime people are feeling out of control, it's going to break down their emotional wellness. And, you know, there's things that are at, coming at us all day, every day, right? So there's mm-hmm. things that are out of our control. That is true. They are out of our control. And then there's things that are in our control. And our our culture encourage us as we're kind of ingrained in our culture to focus on those things that are out of our control. And so my book really helps kids learn the skills that they need to focus on what is in their control. So they feel, and and then they could step into that more, right? So once they Mm -hmm. see that they're in control, then they step into those behaviors and those actions and then they feel better. So that's where, that's where I, in, in, you know, my, the adults that I work with, we're in the same boat, right? We're in the same place. We're all having trouble sleeping. We're mm-hmm. all really feeling the stress of it all. We're all having trouble, like, you know, figuring it out, or we want to take a break from it all because we can't really stand it. But um, yeah, so we're all feeling it, but yeah, teens are really feeling it very strongly. And I feel like, you know, my, my kids, the workload is uh, unbelievable. I don't know why it's so high. And I know I, because I'm working with kids from different schools, it really runs, uh, there's a lot of difference there and from different schools, but my kids are working way too hard, I think. Mm-hmm. Um not having any time at all. First of all, they have no activities outside of their schoolwork yeah. right now, but yeah, so they're they're really feeling this sense, of, and then everything's getting canceled uh, in the future. So they're really feeling that right now, especially. Um, I, I agree, and you know, for me, and I find this is a real difference between my kids and me and my friends. Um, too much information is, I, I think, is a bad thing. I think that being pleasantly ignorant on some fronts is extremely beneficial. And I've, but I find with my kids that I, maybe because they have so much information coming at them all the time, they don't delve into their friends like I delve into mine. You know, I will ask, you know, ask one of my kids, oh, so where, what are they taking in school? Well, I don't know. Or, you know, what, and it's like, oh, I don't know. So what do you talk about? Well, I don't know. We don't talk about stuff like that. And I just, I, I find that, you know, I think maybe the brain is only capable of taking in so much information and they're getting so much from so many sources. And I do believe what you're saying about working too much is correct. Um, for me, I think it's a whole different philosophy on the education system, but that's a whole different show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I don't. We won't touch that. No, but I, I do agree. I think they're overwhelmed. Um, Jody, what I'd like to do is take a quick break here. And then in our next segment, we're going to flip it. And we're going to talk about how the parents can help their kids. And I think this is an important piece that we need to touch upon. So everybody, we will be back in a couple of minutes. There's no space that his love can't reach There's no place where we can't find peace There's no end to amazing grace Take me in with your arms spread wide Take me in like an orphan child Never let go, never leave my side 
You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking to Jody Amen. A very interesting discussion about stress and teens or, or Gen Z. And Jody, what I'd like to do is probably the people that are listening to the show are older than the kids that we're talking about now, parents of these children. And it's got to be stressful for them to see mm. their kids stressing out all the time. And as I mentioned, I, I span two two types of kids. Is that the right way to say it? I've got the, the Gen Z and the millennials and um, many similarities. But in talking to the younger one, so much more as far as stress. And one of the things that I, I bring up a lot is that a lot of kids are on medication, uh, are put on medication very quickly. Um, and the parents, I, I, I must feel they must feel um, a little bit out of control on their end as well. Absolutely. Do they Absolutely. feel? Do they feel when you're talking to these parents? Are they feeling like they're failing their children? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, the first thing we do if our kids are in any kind of trouble is blame ourselves. That's the first thing we go to. And I've been there myself because you know I you know I have kids too, and my kids have really struggled with um, stress and emotional problems, and you know, like we all do. You know, it's was pretty severe, and so we felt really out of control trying to address that and keep shifting. You know, you have to kind of be flexible and try this, and if that doesn't work, try this, and so it's very disorienting. And not knowing if it's normal or not, I think that's the, the biggest question that parents bring to me is like, oh, my God, they're out of control. In in a lot of the things that the kids are really responding to appropriately to the situations that they're in, and the most upsetness comes out of relationship problems um, or comes out of contextual problems. And so they are responding normal, but their parents are, feel so out of control because they can't help. You know, sometimes, you know, I had a, I was working with a, a young, oh, she was eight, she's 18, so she's losing her old graduation from high school and the whole COVID. And so she just needed to cry and her mom was texting me. She's crying. I don't know what to do to make it, to fix this. It's like, sometimes you can't fix it. Like they, mm -hmm. the crying is okay. You know, sometimes the crying is the release and okay. And just letting them know that you understand and it's okay. But for us as parents, our job should be to fix everything, but it's yeah, not. But <laughs> is it our job to fix everything for them? I mean, to no. me, that seems like that's part of the big problem here is that we are fixing everything, whether it be on purpose, whether it be because of time restraints and we just don't have the time to deal with problems, might as well just fix them and get them out of the way. I mean, obviously, when they're younger, the problems are smaller and they're easy to fix right away. I think it comes out of the parent's anxiety, actually, whether they call it anxiety or stress or worry or concern or love, whatever you call it, it's, you know, you feel like you want 
you're, you, it's, it's so stressful and feels so out of control for you. And so our re- human, regular human reaction to feeling out of control is to try to get control. And fixing problems helps us do that. And so I, I think that's why it's very innocent and good intentioned and, and comes right out of love. So it's not like they're being jerks or anything. But uh, I've been there myself and fixed things for my kids. And then they don't know how to do stuff themselves. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I messed up really bad. <laughs> well, well that, see, that to me, the educating of the parents might be the biggest help in this problem. And again, whether it's time, whether we are also way more connected to our kids than I was to my parents, as far as just, uh, I would call Mm -hmm. my mom maybe once a day if I was out, uh, you know, at school, she wouldn't hear from me from one end of the day to the next. And, you know, my guidelines. It was long distance, right? When we were in college. Yeah. And then so you talk once a week on a Sunday night after 11 or something. So you were in control of your life and fixing things yourself. And I know just with the shift um, with my own kids, I'll hear more from the girls and the boys. I do, I do um, mm-hmm. draw that mm-hmm. line. Um, but I'll hear from my, my girls maybe two or three times a day sometimes um, just thoughts that come into their head or guess what's happened. So we're talking. I mean, it's beautiful in a lot of ways. It isn't is. It? I mean, I love that. It's like the, the closeness and it's, it's just wonderful. So the other thing is, you know, educating the parents, we have to be a little bit careful because there's a lot of those articles out there talking about helicopter parents that are really parent blaming. And when we get into parent blaming, I think we're making the parents feel more out of control and so you're Mm -hmm. going to do it more. And so what we really need to do is to point out what the parents are doing well. You know, we really need, parents need help too. They're really struggling, really worried, feeling very out of control and completely blaming themselves. So if we approach educating parents and blame them more, it's, it's, it backfires on us and it's causing more problems. And I've seen that trend in the last five years as a real parent blaming around this helicopter parenting or mm-hmm. lawnmower parenting or something like that, which I think has done more damage than good. Well, they're, you know, these parents are kind of the sandwich parents in a different regard. They've got the, you know, the people in the workforce and then these parents who are what, probably in their late 30s, early 40s, and then, or even that old. They might not even be that old. Um, and then they've got these children coming and they, the parents too are dealing with two worlds, right? right because, right. Um, you know, I, I recall so vividly, I've probably mentioned this two or three times on the show. Uh, a university professor coming into my children's high school to talk to the parents. And his overall writing message was, we don't want to hear from you at university. So you better let these kids fall down, get bruised and figure things out, or there's going to be a real issue with them. Mm-hmm. And he, it was almost like prophecy because it was like, that was like year after year after year, you see more anxiety, you see more issues with children and my big concern, one of my big concerns, is that these kids are being medicated right away. And to me, and I'm not in your field, there has to be some talking to these children to try and help them with the problem. Is yeah, that exactly. naive on my end? Uh, no, no. I mean, you know, medicine is a tool and it saves lives. 
So I'm not going to, you know, put it down or criticize it. Are we over-medicated? I think a lot of people agree that that is the case, that people want a pill because they don't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. But the work is not as hard as you think, and the work is so much more rewarding and could it could bring up and, and improve our lives for the whole life, having these skills to take care of ourselves, to increase our happiness, to to regulate our, our emotional wellness is so important on every level. And parents have to learn it as well. Like everybody at all ages can need to put these practices in place. Like happy people aren't just happy. Happy people generate that happiness every day. Mm-hmm. But there's this idea that there's some people that are happy and then some people that aren't. And, um, and then they're just different and unlucky. That makes people feel really out of control. And we have to get that message out that anyone can be happy by using these skills. So people who are sad, they feel like they're the only one sad and something's different in their brain. And so they need the medicine. Well, that's the pharmaceuticals, like passing that knowledge on, but it's not really the truth about what it is. And, you know, honestly, it's experiences. I mean, we've all, and I'm sure you've seen the perfect family and and the, the, the parents that describe everything is wonderful, everything's great, and you think, wow, what am I doing wrong? And then, you know, down the road, you find out little things come out, and there's no perfect family. I mean, I don't know why we're striving for perfection. I mean, that is that an issue? Mm-hmm. That is I an just, issue. Just, that is an I, issue that comes from commercialism and Western culture is that strive for perfectionism. We have such high expectations of ourselves on every level. And that is what's changing about starting with our generation and then all the generations lower than that. You know, this these higher expectations. And it's not surprised that it came out with the, you know, the TV. When the TV was come out in the 1950s, like generations from there on, are increasing that comparison culture and these high expectations, these social standards that we have to live up to. Um, You know, it's just been increasing the last 70 years. And so it's changed the way humans are. Well, how do we, how do we fix it? Uh, There's a question for you. Uh, Is it the parents talking to you separately and then implementing, or is it, the children that need to be focused on, or is it the unit? Um, I think both. I, so, so the, you know, I have this book. I have this book for teens. The book's called Anxiety. I'm so done with you. <laughs> it's a teen's guide to ditching toxic stress and rewiring their brain for happiness. But for parents, I have a cutout section in the back for parents to give them some of those tips that they need, and then they could go to my website, and I have a whole list of resources for them about how to use the skills on themselves. You know, our kids also live out our issues, right? So if we have some issues and things aren't taken care of and we're feeling out of control or stressed about this or that, it's it's being passed on. And so, yes, we do have to clear ourselves out and I can give you the tools to do that and then help our kids, right, from this confident place. And, and also then kids can get the tools from the book themselves. So it's like we can do both and do it together, do it separately and together. I think it's, I think that there's so much need here and urgency because people are suffering so much. There's so much urgency in it that that's, let's, let's give them all the tools and then help them connect with each other around them. Um, yes. 
I think the beautiful thing that is is evolving, um, and it's been it's been going on for a few years now, is that the mental health issue is not um, the horrible thing that's kept in the closet anymore. I think that this is a positive that's come out of it, and books like you um, are writing and speaking directly to teens is vital because you know you're, they're getting to a point where. They're, they're, they're too far gone, and then these terrible issues happen. And I think that these things need to be discussed. Are there steps that, that you can, or, or, or seeds that you can plant into, you know, maybe this is the parent's role, to plant into their children to work towards a happier life? Or on the other hand, you know, is it, is it a, a valid conversation for parents to sit down and say, listen, if, if you're feeling this, this, and this, we need to have a bigger conversation. Do we warn our children about mental issues that could happen to them? Is, is that a conversation or is that too much? I think of it's a happening before they're being warned. I think that I think it's happening uh, organically that kids are feeling out of control, depressed, anxious, um, low self-doubt, the low self-esteem. I think it's happening before we even get a chance to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then we see it. But I, I think I want to comment on a few things you said, because one is, you know, is it too late? And then they're going to not be able to handle life. I think that humans are adaptable. And I say this in my book over and over to the parents and to the kids is like humans are adaptable. So when push comes to shove, they will be able to adapt and function. They will, but they don't know that right now, right? So their anxiety, their depression, whatever is telling them, or just our culture is telling them they will not be able to. And so there is a huge discourse out there. You're, you're saying it yourself that, these kids are not going to have the skills to do it in life, but they think that they don't. And so they're still dependent and worried and asking for a lot of support from adults right now. And I think when push comes to shove though, they will be able to. And so they, the, the anxiety is that anticipation that they can't. And so we need to really let them know that they can. And I really want adults to know that they can. So if you did let them swim, they will be able to swim. They'll figure it out. They will be able to. And people don't do stuff in life out by themselves anyway. It doesn't mean you leave them mm-hmm. and you, you don't, you're not available at all. Like we're social beings and we need relationships. So I love how people are so close in families. I love mm-hmm. that. I think that's beautiful and wonderful. But also... You know, my son, forget he was working at a residential camp, and so he'd come over on the weekends, and he'd go back, and a couple weeks in a row, he forgot bedding. You know, he brought it home, washed it, and then just left it, <laughs> and just left it. And so, the you know, someone gave him something one week, and the next week, I don't know what happened, and the third week, he's like, I need to buy a blanket because I forgot my stuff at home. I had it by the door for him. <laughs> <laughs> 18. Yeah. <laughs> and so he said, can I, can I, can you buy me a blanket? And I was like, nope, you're going to have to buy your own blanket. Mm-hmm. Like there's, this is the third time you did it. You need to learn not to do that anymore. I'm not going to buy you a blanket. And that's a hard lesson. You know, I yeah. mean, it's silly, it's little and it's not very big and it's not dev- devastating, which is why I could share it. You know, if I showed, if I shared a devastating example, everyone would hate me, but well, you know, we, we can let them fall like that. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can let them fall those little times and so that they could build those skills for the bigger times. Yeah. And it's where do parents step in? This must be the huge anxiety point for the parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, we're mm-hmm. not, it's not like we're talking about stupid people who are raising their children wrong. That's just wrong. That's just no. not right. I mean, they're dealing with an influx of social media just as the children are. And, you know, the, the, the space between my youngest and the next one is five years. And that was lightning huge gap in mm-hmm. social media. And as you said, my youngest one um, in grade eight had a phone. My oldest one didn't have a phone until grade 10 or 11. Um, mm-hmm. And parents, they have to navigate this terrain as well. So are you seeing, an, uh, here's a question for you that's a little bit off the chart. Are you seeing an uptick in mental health issues with parents? Because of this? Sure. Yes, absolutely. I think all of us, because all of us are dealing with social media and then the parents are worried about that they're not doing the parenting right. So I think in the last 70 years, like I said, like everything's changed for these future generations where the work ethic has gone down. It's still a little strong in my generation, but not fully, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then the younger generations has gone down because commercialism has decreased our understanding of cause and effect. And that's taken away our personal power, you know, because we don't see the power we have to affect things. That's what the biggest damage is. And so we feel inadequate and then we feel inadequate about doing anything about it because we don't have any power to. So we feel inadequate because we have these high social standards. And so we work really, really hard to try to meet those social standards as that perfectionism. But we're kind of doing the wrong thing, trying to prove our worth instead of putting that activity into feeling our power so that we feel centered and safe and comfortable and, and that we can do stuff and that we are adequate. Or even if we're inadequate, we could figure it out. You know, so we could adjust and adapt. Uh, the kids are, are are equating worth with what they have, and this is what the issue is. Yes, what they could get, mm-hmm. like what they can get, because it's the message, right? So the message is you get stuff just by being cool, just because you deserve it. And so when they're not, you could see this in a grocery store. Like if you have ever, ever had a young child in a grocery store and they want something in that line, you know, and they, they're like, I want that. And you say no, and they cry. This is how I started to notice. And then if you did buy that thing, it would be discarded. Like it, it, it feeds that sense of worth mm-hmm. that I get to have it. And then it has no value after I came home, right? Mm-hmm. And so I started to see this over and over with, with, um, with younger kids and teenagers. And with, you could see it with the younger kids and the teenagers internalize it a lot more. When you're younger, you could scream and cry and be really upset, but it's really about their sense of worth. Even as a toddler, when you say no, it feels like it, it digs it. They're so upset because it really digs at their worth. And so I started to notice that as kids get older, what that looks like and how that works. And that's how I put that theory together, but it tracks in every conversation that I have, that that's what's going on in this unconscious level and, and how that's, how that's showing up in the rest of their life and making them feel powerless. So what tips would you give to teens? Two or three tips that would help them to take control uh, or find meaning or, or even just avoiding anxiety in their life. 
Well, um, I guess just just being really trans- transparent about what's going on, because if it happens on that unconscious level, they don't really know what they don't really see it. And they just keep blaming themselves and go down that negative spiral. So really understanding what's happening on that cultural level. So that's what I do is I really unpack, you know, anxiety, depression, or any bad feelings, any negative feelings. Listen, our brain has so much capacity for thought. Because as it evolved, like we needed to take care of a lot of things at once and problem solve a lot of things. Now with the luxury of our lives, we don't have that much to do. And our brain has this huge capacity to do stuff. So now it's just looking for problems. It has all these thoughts. And if there's nothing to think about, it just replaces them with negative things. And so if they understand that, see, because when they experience that, they think they're crazy, right? They think something's wrong with them. But when they understand this is like from evolution, this is why it's happening, then to explain to them that the brain, you know, has two goals to survive and thrive and to conserve calories. And that's why we have so much resistance to everything. Like that's normal. When kids have resistance to stuff, they think there's something wrong with them. And parents think there's something wrong with them. So having people understand how this is regular stuff and to think about it differently because they have that experience and they put meaning around it. So if we remake the meaning, it really changes everything and kids start to connect with their personal agency and their personal power. And and if if they notice it, they can see what they do have. Remaking the meaning. That's very, it's a very good, uh, very good saying. I'm writing that down. Remake the meaning. Excellent. Remake the meaning because we, you know, we have a problem and we put all this meaning on it. That makes it all worse. Excellent. That's an excellent catchphrase there. Mm-hmm. Jody, you've got a new book coming out. Uh, tell us about it. Um, I know it's yes, on it's, pre-order now when it's coming out. The whole Yes, the whole it's thing. coming out July 21st. So it's called Anxiety, I'm So Done With You. It's a teen's guide mm-hmm. to ditching toxic stress and rewiring their brain for happiness. And there's some resources in there for parents too. But it is a, uh, a book for teens really helping them understand what is happening, why this is a problem so they don't judge themselves so harshly. It really helps them shed all that negative self-judgment and find the skills that they do have and bring them online. And then at the end, we really talk about ways to um, to ensure to bring that happiness, right? Generate that happiness in your life and practice it every day through eating well, movement, meditation, those things that we know about positive relationships and having a fulfilling purpose in your life. Excellent. Congratulations on that. It's such a wonderful achievement. Mm-hmm. Now, when can we get the book? Where can we get the book? You can get it anywhere books are sold. It's it's release, releasing July 21st. So um, that it'll, it'll be available. You could pre-order it now. So it just comes comes to you right away when it, when it releases. Excellent. Jody. thank you so much. Really a great conversation. So uh, important. So important to get this message out to to the teens and to their parents. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Kathy. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.